Matthew 16, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. We'll jump to some other verses later, uh, but uh, we want to look here. Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. Look what Jesus says, or look what the passage says here. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say you are John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But who do you say that I am? Notice a question he asked there in verses 13 and 14. Who do men say that Jesus is? It says there, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He gave his a title there for himself. Son of Man is a, a title for his humanity. When he calls himself, the, when the Bible calls him the Son of God, it's a title for his deity. But here he uses Son of Man. And look what the answer is. We see the question, who do men Say that I, the Son of Man, am. And notice the answer there. They give three, 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 it's a three-piece answer there. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. It's interesting when they give John the Baptist as an answer. In fact, the, the, an important point here I think to see here is that even in Jesus' day, everyone had an opinion on Jesus, right? Even in, during his earthly ministry. Uh, and here's, what's the significance of John the Baptist? Why would that be someone they were talking about in relation to Jesus Christ? Well, J- John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah. And a lot of people in those days believed John the Baptist was coming back. And so they thought Jesus was the return of John the Baptist. So when Peter says, some say you are John the Baptist, that's what he's referring to. He also says, not only do some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Why would they bring up Elijah? Because if you remember with Elijah, what happened to Elijah? He was one of the two prophets in the Old Testament who didn't die, but was taken to heaven, was raptured, so to speak, right? And so the belief is that Elijah is going to return someday. And so a lot of people in Jesus' day believed Jesus was... Elijah returned. And the third thing they mention is your Jeremiah. People think you're Jeremiah or one of just another prophet. So they think he's the return of John the Baptist, the return of Elijah, or he's just another prophet. Those were three major views of who Jesus was in Jesus' day, right? So when he asked that question, what do men say that I am? That's what most people were thinking in that day. Well, what about in our day? I want to look at how, uh, what, how that's answered today. What do men say about Jesus in our day? Then we're going to look at what the Bible says about who Jesus is. Did you know that there's a religion out in California, or a lot of people who follow this man, John Allegro, that he wrote a book called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. And in that book, Dr. Allegro, who is a New Testament scholar taught that Jesus was actually a mushroom. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. There are people out in California. You know, I've heard some people say California is the land of fruit flakes and nuts. Have you heard that before? 
Um, but th- it's true. Some Now, if you ask these folks in this religion, if they believed in Jesus, they would say yes, but what do they mean by that? They believe he's a mushroom. That's quite a bit different than what we see in the New Testament. That's one thing men say. What's another thing men say? Look, the religion of Islam. Let me, let me show you a quote from the Quran here. If you talk to a Muslim, if you just ask them generically, do they believe in Jesus? They would say yes, but what do they mean by that? Well, here's what the Quran says. This is the Quran, chapter 4, verse 157. It says, They that said in boast... We killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah, but they killed him not, nor crucified him. But so it was made to appear to them. And those who differ therein are full of doubts with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow. For of a surety, they killed him not. See, in Islam, they, do, they believe Jesus was just a prophet, but they, they do not believe that he was... Uh, that he died on a cross. In fact, they say there was uh, an imposter that took his place. And this is what the Quran says. So if you asked them generically, do you believe in Jesus? This is what they would say. Yeah, I used to work for a ministry in Arlington, Texas called Watchman Fellowship. Now, don't mix that up with the Watchtower, right? You know what the Watchtower is, the Jehovah's Witnesses. I wasn't a Jehovah's Witness. We did ministry to Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, we had expertise on cults and new religions and we were getting ready to teach a course on Islam at Criswell College there in Dallas. And so we were going to have the imam from the Sunni mosque in Arlington, which was, believe it or not, one of the bigger mosques in this part of the country. We were going to have him come and, and uh, answer questions from our students and talk some about Islamic history. But before we did that, we wanted to get to know this imam a little bit because this particular mosque, right after September 11th happened, was raided by the FBI because the imam at the time of September 11th was actually Osama bin Laden's secretary. Now, he fled to Dearborn, Michigan. That's where they caught him. But we wanted to be sure before bringing this man on the campus of Criswell College, which was on the campus of First Baptist Church Dallas at the time, we wanted to be sure what we were getting into before we invited him to come to the class. And so we had lunch with him that day. And I remember in this restaurant we were in, I was standing in line, I was standing next to one of the guys, from, one of the Muslims from the mosque there that we had met, and he is a 26-year-old from Jordan at the time, and he was really being mentored by Imam Hassan. And I remember talking to this young man, and he engaged me on, on Jesus, and he said, Preston, you seem like a fairly intelligent person to me for an American. Okay, thank you. And, and I, he said, do you really believe, you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? He said, how can you believe that? Nobody rises from the dead. Why do you believe that? I said, well, you know what? We don't just Believe it without any evidence. There, is re- there are reasons why we believe that. He said, like what? I said, well, first of all, we have four written historical accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all testify the same thing, that Jesus rose from the dead after he was crucified. I said, there are a few other things, if you don't mind me telling you. He said, sure, go ahead. I said, well, you know, the Bible talks about the first people who 
were on the scene of the resurrection and came back and told the rest of the disciples, do you remember who that was? He said, no. I said, it was the women. He said, yeah, so what? What's the significance? Well, in that day, no offense to the ladies, but they didn't even have standing to appear in court in that day. They were valued a little bit above property, right? So if they were making up this story of Jesus, it would not have been the women on the scene first to see it. It would have been Peter, right? The hero. Instead, it was the women. What does this show? It shows the authenticity of the message there. What you see in the Bible is the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? You see the authenticity. That's important. And I said, what about the Roman soldiers that day that were guarding the tomb? Scholars say there was anywhere from 8 to 32 soldiers guarding the tomb that day. And do you know what their punishment was if they left their post without permission? He said, no. I said, it was death. Why would 8 to 32 Roman soldiers the toughest soldiers arguably in history, certainly of that day, and they're guarding a tomb and they leave their post, wouldn't there have to be something dramatic for that to happen? Like the stone rolling away and someone walking out of a tomb. That would scare Roman soldiers off, wouldn't you think? He said, I'd never thought about that. I said, well, that's what, that's what we see recorded. And how about this? Does anyone really think that Peter would die for something that he knew was a lie? I mean, Peter is not exactly, as we see in Scripture, he's not exactly the poster boy for courage, is he? How many times did he deny the Lord even to a child? Three times, right? All of this, that's, that's not an insult to Peter. I'm not saying that. All of this is to show the Scripture tells us reasons why we can believe this. There are historic reasons why this is true. We are not, this is not a leap in the dark to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He was a real person and it really happened. Here's the other question for Islam on the person of Jesus. If there's an imposter, where's the body? Where's the body? There's been nobody produced, right? So if you're talking to a Muslim or uh, if you look at the teachings of Islam, they'll claim to believe in Jesus, but it's, it's that Jesus is just a prophet who was not actually crucified. What about Mormonism? How many of you have talked to or visited with a Mormon before? You have friends and family? I, I have. I've, I've talked to lots of Mormons through the years. They will claim sincerely that they believe in Jesus, but what do they mean by that? Here's what they say about Jesus, that he's the Brother of Lucifer, now that ought to be a red flag right there for you, shouldn't it, that this is something different than what the Bible teaches? They say he's our elder brother, which means that according to Mormonism, we were all the spirit sons and daughters of Heavenly Father before we were born as people here on earth. And the Mormon church believes that Jesus was born of a physical union between Mary and Heavenly Father, and they believe that he became a God. Now these are just some of the odd things that the Mormon church teaches about Jesus. But do they claim to believe in Jesus? Yes, they do. Are they sincere? Yes, they are. But can you be sincere and still be wrong? You can. And, and in the case of Jesus, I believe they are. How about Jehovah's Witnesses? How many of you have visited with Jehovah's Witness before? Right? I have too. I've visited with a lot of them. They believe in Jesus as well. But look, notice what they 
say about him. These are just a few things about him. They say that Jesus was just a perfect man. They say he died on a torture stake and not on a cross. They'll be adamant about that. They deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus. They say instead that he rose spiritually and not physically. And, and when, he, when he died, he went back to heaven and he was Michael the archangel again. And they say he returned invisibly in 1914. Now, I'm, I'm from Arkansas and I'm a little slow, okay? I, I know that. I'm naturally a little slower than the next guy. But I've got to ask an obvious question there. If, if he returned invisibly... How can you say he returned invisibly, right? But that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. Do they believe in Jesus? Are they sincere? They would say yes, and I think they are sincere in their belief. How about the religion of Scientology? Have you heard of Scientology? Many of the stars in uh, Hollywood are Scientologists. L. Ron Hubbard was the founder of that religion. He had an opinion on Jesus as well. Here's what L. Ron Hubbard said, Christ was fiction. Neither Lord Buddha nor Jesus Christ were OTs operating Thetans. That is a, a, in in Scientology, there are levels you can reach if you are faithful to their religion, which you go through what they call their auditing, which is really just invasive counseling. And when you go through that auditing, that invasive counseling, you can reach a couple of levels. One level is called clear, and above clear is operating Thetan, which has eight levels itself. And so L. Ron Hubbard here is saying, neither Lord Buddha nor Jesus Christ were operating Thetans. According to the evidences, they were just a shade above clear. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard would say he was one of those top tiers operating Thetans. So in a sense, actually, he was actually saying he's better than Jesus himself, L. Ron Hubbard was saying. Did he believe in Jesus? Oh, he had a belief about him, but that's what he believed about him. How about the nation of Islam? Have you heard the religion of the nation of Islam? Um, Louis Farrakhan is the head of the nation of Islam. He was interviewed just fairly recently and got on his beliefs about Jesus. Here's what he said about Jesus. He said, God does not love this world. God never sent Jesus to die for this world. Jesus died because he was 2,000 years too soon to bring about the end of the civilization of the Jews. He never was on no cross. There was no Calvary for that Jesus. I represent the Jesus, and I am that Jesus. If I am not, take my life. Wow. Does Farrakhan believe in Jesus? He does, but he's got a view of Jesus that's certainly foreign to what we see in the Bible. Is he sincere? I think he is. But I think he's sincerely wrong, right? How about Joel Osteen? I don't know if you're familiar with Osteen or not, and I, I don't mean any of this, by the way. Please don't, don't, please take me from my heart here. I'm not uh, making fun or insulting or anything. But it's important when we talk about who men say Jesus is, as you're talking to people, a lot of everyone, just about everyone's going to tell you they believe in Jesus. My whole point with all this is let's get beyond their terminology to their dictionary and see what they mean. That's important in evangelism. Here's what Joel Osteen, he was asked about Christ on the Larry King live show. Now, Larry King, when he was on CNN, he used to have all kinds of religious leaders as guests on his show. And he's had a lot of high-profile Christian leaders on there, from Billy Graham to even Joel Osteen's 
father who preceded him at, at Lakewood Church there as the pastor, and he always asked them this question, whether it's Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, John MacArthur, or any other high-profile Christian leaders, is Christ the only way, meaning is, is Jesus the only way to heaven? He asked Joel Osteen that question. Here's what Osteen said in response to that. I've spent a lot of time in India with Hindus with my father. I don't know a lot about their religion, but I know they love God. I've seen their sincerity. Here's his answer to, is Jesus the only way? I don't know. He is the, the, the pastor of one of the largest evangelical churches in the world. And when asked a simple question like, is Jesus the only way? His response was, I don't know. Now, there's, we could speculate on why he said that. I don't know. I haven't talked to him about it. And to be fair to Joel Osteen, he came out a couple of days later after there was a huge reaction to this and affirmed his belief that Jesus was the only way of salvation. But the damage had already been done. Millions of people had already seen him respond in this way. Why would he do that? I don't know. But he gave a politically correct answer there to a very simple question. Does Joel Osteen believe in Jesus? He would say he does, but he's not sure if he's the only way. Don Lemon on CNN said this recently on the person of Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus Christ, if that's who you believe in, admittedly was not perfect when he was here on the earth. We're going to see what the Bible says in response to that. Does Lemon believe in Jesus? Apparently so. He just doesn't believe he was perfect. He doesn't believe he was without sin. John Lennon, the Beatle, the famous Beatle from the group The Beatles, he said this, I believe in God, but not as one thing, not as an old man in the sky. I believe that what people call God is something in all of us. I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right. It's just that the translations have gone wrong. So does Lennon believe in Jesus? Yeah, he just thinks he's similar to Buddha or Muhammad, right? How about Oprah on Jesus? She, I believe Oprah is one of the uh, strongest religious leaders in the history of our country, believe it or not. She has tons of people following her, following her philosophy, and she does have a religious philosophy, right? And in, in, in her, on her show back, I think, is in the late 90s, she uh, had a show, and they got on, on the show with their guests. They were talking about who Jesus was, and a Christian in the audience uh, got involved in the conversation and interjected the belief that Christians believe Jesus is the only way of salvation. Oprah's response to that was this, one of the mistakes that human beings make is that there is only one way that there are many paths to what you call God, there couldn't possibly be just one way. That's what Oprah says. Does Oprah believe in Jesus? She believes that he is one of many valid paths to God. She would say yes to that, just that generic question. Even the, There have even been public polls on who Jesus is. Newsweek reported on one just a couple of years ago. Uh, it said 52% of Americans say Jesus isn't God, but was a great teacher, is what most Americans say. Now, a few years ago, that 52% number was, was, was a little higher than that, but that's what the public says. So who do men say Jesus is? Well, a number of things. depends on who you talk to. The point is here, everyone is going to have an opinion on Jesus. 
Everyone you talk to is. So when we're sharing the gospel, it's important that we are clear on who he is when that comes up, but also that we ask them questions about what they mean about who Jesus is. Well, we've seen what men say. Jesus goes on in that passage to ask, who do you say that I am? So let's see what the Bible says about Jesus. Here's who Jesus is in a nutshell right here. These, these few things are who Jesus is on our next slide. He is sinless. He's the Savior from sin. He's fully God and He's fully man. He is born of the virgin. He died physically bodily on the cross for our sins. And He rose physically bodily from the dead. He's the only way of salvation. And I didn't put it up here, but He's coming back again someday. In a nutshell, folks, that's who Jesus Christ is. Why do I make this point? I'm not saying that someone who's an unbeliever has to understand all the nuances of all these things. But you can't deny these things. You can't reject these things. And at the same time, believe the gospel of Christ for salvation. Do you see? Because Jesus is the center point of the gospel message. And part of accepting that is accepting who he is, as the Bible says. Let me show you where the Bible says these things. Where does the Bible say that Jesus is sinless? You know, it's a, it's a, get, a growing opinion today that Jesus sinned just like the rest of us. But what does the Bible say about that? Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Here's one of the places we see it discuss that. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. When it mentions who knew no sin there, it's not talking about us. It's talking about him. That Jesus knew no sin. He was without sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was sinless and he took my sin upon him. In fact, because of his sinlessness, he was the only one who could go to the cross to pay for our sin because it had to be someone perfect who died for sin. That's what God demanded. There had to be a perfect sacrifice for that. So Jesus, God the Son, was the only one who could do that. You see, this is a, this is a reason why it couldn't be an ordinary man who died on the cross for our sin. Because an ordinary man would not be someone who knew no sin. He would be a sinner like everybody else and need saving himself. So was Jesus sinless? Yes, the Bible says he was. Where does it say Jesus is the Savior from sin in the Bible? Well, it says it in a few places. I've got a couple of places for you. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, My son, your sins are forgiven. By him extending forgiveness of sins, he is showing himself to be the Savior from sin. He's the one who can solve sin. Matthew 16, 16, just right here in the passage we just saw, Peter said, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. When he says Christ, that means Messiah, Savior. Jesus affirmed that from Peter. So he was affirming being the Savior there. So Jesus himself actually claimed that. Where, where does the Bible say Jesus is God? This is a big one that some people have a problem with. Where does the Bible say that? Does it say? Yeah, it says it in a lot of places. Let me give you a few Look in John chapter 10, verse 30. John chapter 10, verse 30. Here's what Jesus said. I and the Father are one. This is a, a claim directly from Jesus to, 
to being God Himself. In fact, if you look in the context there in John chapter 10, you'll see the response of the religious leaders there that they knew exactly what Jesus meant. And they responded with anger toward Him because He was claiming to be God. Jesus also said over in Luke chapter 10 verse 18, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now what's the significance of that? How does that relate to Jesus being God? Because it shows He existed before creation, right? He existed uh, and saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said, I say unto you before Abraham was born, I am. What's the significance there? Well, an Old Testament title for God is I am. And so Jesus here is claiming that title for himself. And if you look in the context there of John chapter 8, you'll see the people's response to him was they knew exactly what he was claiming there. So what does the Bible say about Jesus being God? Well, he claimed it himself. He claimed it of himself. Here's the other thing. If Jesus claimed to be God, we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. If Jesus claimed to be God and he is not in fact God, could he be a good teacher? Nope. Could he be a good philosopher? No. Could he be a good leader then? No. There's really only three options. He's either who he says he is, he's Lord or he's a liar, or he's lunatic, as C.S. Lewis said, right? Those are the only three options when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Scripture is clear that he himself claimed to be God. And he's not the only one. Those closest to him claimed that too. Uh, in fact, even a skeptic did. Look over in John chapter 20, verse 28. We talked a little bit about that this morning in Sunday school. Doubting Thomas speaking here, and Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. So even the skeptic concluded that Jesus was God in the flesh. Where else does the Bible teach Jesus is God? Well, Jesus claimed it, the skeptic claimed it, but also those closest to him, John, the apostle John in John chapter 1 verse 1, and then verse 14 of John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word, by the way, is a title for Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John is clearly saying here that Jesus is God. And then skip on down to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So clearly John the Apostle, now remember John is referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the one closest to Jesus, and he was convinced that Jesus was God in the flesh. He believed he was fully man and fully God, and we see that from his statements here. But you know, one of the, uh, one of the most graphic descriptions of Jesus in any literature is over in Colossians chapter 1. Look there in Colossians chapter 1. My goodness, if you've never read Colossians, it is a rich study. Look over there, Colossians 1, verse 13. I've got a few verses I want to read there. Paul, speaking of Jesus, said, "...who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins." The implication there then is of all sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. That word image... In the original, I love this word, that word image is the Greek word icon. 
And that word icon means manifestation and presence of. It was, the, it was a, a, a word that the ancient philosopher Plato used to describe the sun's reflection in the water. In other words, Paul's saying, when you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. He's God in the flesh. And it says he is the firstborn of all creation. That word firstborn that's translated there into the English, it actually means before creation. He existed before creation. He's preeminent according to that. Verse 16, it says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is the Creator. And He is before all things, it tells us there in verse 17. And by Him all things consist or hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church, the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Wow, is that a graphic description of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in case there was any question of what Paul believed about Jesus, look over in Colossians 2 verse 9. It says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He's fully God and he's fully man. He's God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Does the Bible teach that Jesus was virgin born? Yes, it does. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, you know around Christmas time we hear this verse a lot. It's a great one. It says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And that's in fulfillment of the prophecy in Micah chapter 5. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So not only does this verse teach that Jesus was virgin born, but also that he is God in the flesh. And where does the Bible say that Jesus died for our sins and was buried and rose again. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Let me show you real quickly. We're almost done here. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. And Paul tells us over in Romans 1:16 that this is the gospel of Christ, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Here it is. Here's the saving message that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. When it says He died for our sins there, that word for means on behalf of. He died in my place. He died in your place. It was a physical bodily death. His, when it mentions his burial, that proves he died. And then he rose physically, bodily from the grave. And, you know, his death there is the only thing that can pay for man's sin. That's why he said, look at John 14, 6. I'll close with this. That's why he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except by me. You know, we do believe that. And Jesus was right when he said that. But it doesn't get said often enough why we believe that. We don't, we don't believe that Jesus is the only way to say that we're right and you're wrong or to uh, condemn people or anything like that. It's because we believe that Jesus' death on the cross, and the Bible teaches this, is the only thing that can pay for man's sin. There's nothing else that pays for that. And at the end of the day, everyone's got to answer a question about this. Do you believe that what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection 
is enough by itself to give you the forgiveness of sins. You don't add anything to it, and you don't change up anything about it. Is that enough? That is the ultimate question. If you've never answered that question today, I hope you'll at least consider that what Jesus did is enough. Some of you, maybe you need to answer that with the affirmative today. However you answer that determines whether you receive the forgiveness of sins or not. Let's pray together, and I'll turn it over to Michael. Lord, we want to thank you that you died for our sins, and and you rose from the dead. You are who you say you are, and what you've done, Lord, is is the only thing that's sufficient to pay for our sins, and we want to thank you for that. I pray for those this morning who maybe are trusting in the in having to do something they think to to get your forgiveness. May they change their mind and believe that what you've done is enough, and it is enough. And I pray for those who will be sharing the gospel with their unbelieving friends this week. It's our prayer, Lord, that they'd hear, understand, and believe the gospel for salvation. We thank you for that one who shared the gospel with us, that we might receive your forgiveness and a right standing with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Preston, you know, it is in Matthew chapter 16 even that Peter answers in the affirmative. Because Jesus asks him pointedly, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds with, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because you have offered up this answer, right? Because you have believed. Today, I wonder if you were, if you were to try to answer that question personally, who do you think Jesus is? Have you accepted him as the Christ?